Praise God. Mark chapter 15, if you would like to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Verse 37 through 39. Actually, we're going to read 37 and 38. Praise God. And Jesus cried with a loud voice. He was hanging on the cross in front of God and everybody, and he was racked in pain. He had been crucified. He'd had nails driven through his, his hands and his feet. He had been whipped, and he had been just just beaten beyond recognition. He had a crown of thorns on his head. And so when he cried with a loud voice, it wasn't just a whimper, was it? Imagine yourself being in that much. I, I couldn't imagine being in that much pain. And he cried with a loud voice, is what the Bible says. And he gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent. Everybody say was rent. In twain from top to bottom. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. We thank you today, Lord. I pray that you would help me today, Father, to deliver what you have given me to speak to this people, your word for them today. Lord, that you would minister in this place. Lord, we, we ask you to take control in this service right now. Have your way right now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Beyond the veil. Beyond the veil. There was a lot that went on that day, that day of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. A lot of things were happening. Uh, it was just a frenzied moment, I'm sure. There was a lot going on. There was a, the, the frenzied, the fevered pitch of all the things going on, him being marched up to that Golgotha's hill and all the people shouting and screaming at him and, and all those things going on. And I just imagine it wasn't a quiet time. It was just a very fevered moment and everything, everybody was kind of in an uproar and, and it was this final moment where this man called Jesus was going to be crucified. And some were weeping and crying and some were shouting and they were glad to see him go. And he went through all of that and as we read, he cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost and, and the Bible says that that veil, <clears throat> what, what veil are we talking about today? We're going we're to go into a little bit of a sort of a back history about that veil that was rent. Amen. And, and so, and in the Old Testament Hebrew is, it's called the veil of the covenant or the curtain of the testimony in Leviticus 24 and 3, and the curtain of the holy place. And the, the Hebrew word is parochet and is made of, it's a curtain that was made of high quality material. The Bible says that it was blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. And that, uh, that it, what was sewn into it were the images of a cherubim of the cherubim, which are, are angels, and, and the, the, the guardians, which were the guardians of God's sacred presence, they were woven into it, and its location at the center of the tabernacle and, and the temple indicate that it was the most sacred of the various curtains. There were various, various different curtains that hung 
uh, in the in the temple, but in the in this particular one hung in front of the holiest of holies or the most holy place, which which hid the presence of God. And it was it has been said in history that that it is about that it was roughly four to eight inches thick of sewn woven material, and so it wasn't a light thing, and and it hung about thirty feet in the air in that area, and it was the the place where the priest went in once a year. Only the high priest was allowed to go into that place once a year into the presence of God to carry the sins of the people, to carry that blood sacrifice of the, the animal that they had sacked, all those animals that they had laid their hands on and transferred their sins to that animal. And they he would carry that in and, and he would push their sins back for another year. That blood could not deliver them from their sin. It could only push back the punishment for their sin for another year. The New Testament Greek that that speaks of that curtain as being uh, the, that one that was torn at his death, it, is, it functions as a powerful illustration that all believers had were given immediate access to the presence of God. The author of Hebrews states that the foundational hope held by believers, which the Bible calls the anchor of their soul, is based on both Jesus entering in through the veil as the forerunner and being our high priest. Amen? And so that temple behind the, that place, that temple behind, that, that area behind the veil in, in many ways was a place that the people of God feared. You know, when Moses went up on the mountain and he came down and his face was glowing from being in the presence of God, they feared that and, and he had to put a veil over his face so that they could even look upon him. And, and so the people feared God. They, they knew that they had that pillar of cloud and that pillar of smoke uh, that pillar of cloud, pillar of fire that followed them and led them and, and protected them, but they, they feared it. They, it was something that was afar off and they, they, they only knew about it because of talk around and they would see that the high priest come out and, and know that their sacrifice was accepted and, and they could take a sigh of relief and say, okay, our sins have been pushed back another year. And so where did where did the whole concept of this veil come from? Where did it come from? Well, the pattern was given to Moses, was it not? And so Moses had this pattern, and God told him to go build a tabernacle exactly according to this pattern, and he told him specifically how to make this this curtain, this veil. And so this veil was a concept that God gave to Moses. So it originated in heaven. It was God's idea. It was God's veil. There was already something like this up there in heaven. And he was giving Moses just a simple way for them to come to God. But he gave them this, this veil of separation. And he, what, what was the message that he was sending to them with this veil was that there was the common and there was the holy. Right? Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 
through 19 says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, being having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus ye you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who hath made both one and even hath broken the middle wall of partition between us. And we're going to stop right there for a moment. And that temple that, that Jesus was, that was talking about uh, when he was walking on this earth, that temple was actually called Herod's Temple. And so what, what, what brought about Herod's temple was that these kings, like, like King Herod, actually the guy that finished the temple was the great, great grandson, I believe, of the Herod that started it. But the whole concept behind building this temple was that in history, these other kings that had these temples like David and Solomon and, and all these others, it, it, it had, it meant power, it meant recognition. Of the king, and so this king Herod, he decided he wanted to have, he wanted to have this influence and this recognition with the Jews. So he decided to build a temple called Herod's Temple. So how did he? What did he do? How did he build this temple? Well, historically, uh, I believe that what he did is, and the historians say that he he took the pattern of Solomon's temple, and he wanted to make it even a a more awesome temple than Solomon's temple, so he doubled all of the measurements. So this temple took up, like I believe the the historians say, and the things that I was reading, that, that it took about 20% of the, the land mass of Jerusalem at that time, and, and it was the most beautiful temple at that time in the world. And people would come, even Gentiles, even people that weren't Jews would come like, like we might go to some some museum or some venue today that has nothing to do with us, but we want to go see the, the really cool stuff at that Museum of Natural History or whatever you, you want to go to. And so that's kind of what it was to the world. And so they 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 wanted to come and see this temple. And so the high priests say when 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 Herod built this temple, he he let the Jews have a lot of say in it. And so they built these walls of separation in there. And the outer court was the place where folks like you and I could go, Gentiles. We weren't allowed past that first wall, that first area, but we could come there like like tourists. We could come to that area and, and we could even give an offering and we could even buy an animal. You know, you read in the Bible about the, the money changers in the temple. That's what they were there for. You know, we might not be Jews, but, you know, if we wanted to do like the Jews do and we wanted to buy an animal and, and let them go sacrifice it for us so we could be blessed, even if we don't understand it or it doesn't mean anything to us, we could do that. You know, kind of silly things that the tourists do. They don't understand what they're doing, but they're doing it because why? Everybody else is doing it. So they would have to pay exorbitant amounts of money. Anybody ever been to a, a museum in this country? Any kind of venue like that, you pay an arm and a leg to get in the place, and then they want like $14 for a drink. I mean, it's expensive. 
And that's how these money changers were. They were robbing these people blind because they, they knew best, right? And so that place was for the Gentiles and all who were not Jews. And that second place was for the Jews that were, those that were Jews and, and the women, but that they weren't like in the lineage of the high priest or any of the, the Levites. So they, they were allowed to go into that second area, that second part. There was another wall that separated them from the place where the high priest and the, and the Levites went. And so the women were only allowed to go so far. And it's said in that day that, that men weren't even allowed to talk to women unless it was your wife. So you weren't just, they, they didn't just stand around in public like we do today talking to one another. It wasn't, it wasn't the normal thing to do. And so in, in that, behind that last wall before that veil that was rent, that was the special area for the high priest. And for the Levites, those were the special guys. Those were the ones that took that sacrifice every year, even in that day, into that place, into that Holy of Holies, to push back their sins for another year. And historians say that in that time that there wasn't even an Ark of the Covenant behind that curtain. Isn't that amazing? There was no Ark of the Covenant. But yet they were still exercising and doing those things, taking those people's money, making them believe that what they were doing was really pushing their sins back. And then this guy, Jesus, comes along. And, you know, from the minute he hit this earth, everything started changing. Everything started changing. From the, from the moment he was even announced, life began to change around, that, around this world. When he became 12 years old and he began to, to go into the synagogues and to speak with authority to these elders and these rabbis and all these people, something was happening. And this is what I believe was happening. I don't have Bible for this, but I believe that that veil that was so thick that they said if they would have tied a, a yoke of oxen on, on both ends of it and tried to pull it apart, they couldn't. That's how thick it was. That's how hard it was. It would be like trying to tear a phone book. Anybody in here can tear a phone book? Nope, me either. But that's how thick it was, if you think about that. It was at least that thick. There's a, you can tear a phone book. There's a way to do it, but most people can't do it. And there was no way to tear that. But I believe, spiritually, that Jesus began the process of microscopically, you couldn't see it, Tearing that veil. Everything he did started to work at that veil, to start to tear that, that symbol of that religious system. He was beginning to tear that temple down before he ever even spoke about tearing that temple down. Because you, if, you, if you read about Jesus in the Bible, what did he do? When he, when he launched his ministry, he went about touching lepers, and he was touching the sick people, and he was touching the blind people, and he was supposed to be a rabbi. He was supposed to be a religious guy. He was one of the, they called him rabbi. And you weren't supposed to touch dead people. He was touching dead people. He was touching prostitutes. He was letting them touch him. He was breaking every rule in the book. 
And that's what just stirred those guys up so bad because he was upsetting their apple cart. He was messing with their deal, if I can say it that way. And through all of those things that he was doing, I believe that he was tearing, just making little microscopic tears in that veil. Because there's one place in the Bible where it says that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And I think Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already knew that that veil was coming down. He already knew because why? He was God robed in flesh. He was God robed in flesh. And there's one place in the Bible where it says that when he went to Gethsemane, let's, let's just go there. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. You know, the devil was, was trying his best to get Jesus on the cross, get him killed, get him out of the picture. The devil had no idea what he was getting himself into. He didn't. The Bible says that if he had known that the one he was getting ready to crucify was the Lord of glory, he wouldn't have done it. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 says, And, it, and he came out and went as, he went, as he went, to the Mount of Olives, which is the Mount of Gethsemane. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was in, at that place, he said unto them, Pray ye that, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Didn't get him out of it. God sent him an angel to strengthen him. And the next verse says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now that is praying. That is interceding. That is travailing. We have a missionary sister that was brought home from a foreign country because she prayed so earnestly and so deeply for the souls of that country that it literally caused her to ble- to bleed out of her skin. The same thing that happened to Jesus. So that's possible to happen. And the interesting thing about that place where he went, that word Gethsemane, do you know what that word means? Mm-mm. Gethsemane, transliterated from the Aramaic, is two words, gaff, a press, and shemen, oil, meaning an oil press. Because that was the Mount of what? Olives. And that's where they pressed the olives for the olive oil. And so what more appropriate place for the Lord of glory, the one who's going to take our sins to the cross with him, to go right before his death, to the place of the press. And to have this scripture noted that he went there and he he 
sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. He travailed in prayer for our souls today. And so the Bible says that in one place, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That's what happened when that veil was rent. He made access for us. And this is Paul telling the Hebrews, and he, Paul told this to all the churches, entering in bold, enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart to full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so the Bible says that Jesus' flesh represented that veil. Does it not? And so there's a separation there. That's what the veil was for, right? It was for a separation between man and God. And so Jesus being the God-man, Jesus being the man robed in the, the flesh of, of a man and robed around and, and surrounding the presence of Almighty God, he was still a man. He still had to press past this flesh, this weak flesh that we have, because the Bible says that he came here to be like one of us. He felt the things that we feel. He felt pain. He felt tiredness. He felt hunger. He felt compassion. In one place, he's, one guy said he wanted to follow him, and he said, the, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. This is what my lot is. Are you sure you want to follow me? And so this veil called the flesh that we have, just like Jesus gave us the example in that Scripture, in order for us to get to that place, because Jesus, by doing, he knew he was going into, a, stepping into the realm of the supernatural. He knew what he was about to do. And he knew in order to get to that place, he was going to have to press past this flesh. Because, as I said, he could feel pain. And he had probably seen, I guess, he had probably witnessed people being beaten and people being crucified. He probably had witnessed the, uh, the horror of that kind of punishment. And in his flesh, he didn't want to go through with it. Why else would he go to that place and say, Father, if, if at all possible, could this cup pass for me? Nevertheless, I know i got to do it. If this is what i got to do, I'll do it. If this is what it takes, I'll do it. I'm not going to like it, but I'll do it. Shouldn't that be the attitude that we have? we take? Because God is going to ultimately ask us to do something that we don't want to do. That's not going to be comfortable. You mean he's not just going to save us and just let us sit until he comes? 
That's not what he, that's not what his commission says. It's not what it says to me. And my, I'm going to tell you right now, my flesh does not like to pray. I didn't say I don't like to pray. I said my flesh does not like to pray. And I will let it find excuses for me not to. But there's times where I know that God is calling me away and telling me, he's not saying this, but he's telling me to turn the phone off. Shut the door. Don't answer it. Just He wants his, you know, that song, I miss my time with you. That Lauren O'Hare saying those moments together. I need to be with you each day, not just a little bit, but all day long. I spend all day talking to the Lord every spare moment of my time. When I don't have to think about work, my mind immediately just goes to, I'm talking to Jesus. I'll get up and, you know, my little watch thing that I, my watch that I bought will say, time to get up, time to stand up. <laughs> So if I'm not really doing anything really important at work, and a lot of people where I work do this, they get up and walk those halls for exercise. So I get up and I just start walking those hallways. And I'm praying under my breath, talking to Jesus. Who who are you going to cross my path today? Who who can I say something to to just, just minister to them and love them, God? I'm not just here to work for them. I'm here to work for you. And I gotta get past this flesh. Jesus had to get past this flesh. He was giving us a, a picture, an example of what we need to do. Because while the devil was busy over here trying to crucify him, Jesus was around behind him like a sleight of hand over here. The minute he breathed his last breath, what happened? In one place the Bible says that he screamed, it is finished. What did he mean by that? Did he mean, well, I'm dead, it's over? I don't think so. That's not what it is finished means. The whole process of why I came here is mean, what it means is it is finished. And when he spoke those words, what happened? They were, it was Passover, wasn't it? Wasn't it? The day he died was Passover, wasn't it? Right? And so what did they do on Passover? What did the Jews do on Passover? They took that that blood from that sacrifice, and they, they were about ready to go into the temple, into the holy place. They were about ready to step through that veil. And all of a sudden, in front of witnesses, the veil went from top to bottom. Ripped from top to bottom. And you think about this. Well, how tall is that, Brother Richard? Feeling right there. The original veil was 30 feet or so. The original one, one that was in the, in the, the temple that was in the wilderness, the original pattern was about 30 feet. So if Herod doubled that, right, that means that that veil was four to eight inches thick and 60 feet tall. 60 feet. That's a six story building, right? One story of a building is about 10 feet, give or take. And you know the amazing thing, if you read the Bible, when Jesus died, there was a great earthquake, wasn't there? And it shook every building in Jerusalem. 
up to and including the temple. Because what did he say? I'm going to tear this temple down. But you know, the only thing that didn't shake and didn't tear and didn't, nothing happened to it was that veil. He had other plans for that veil. So when he tore that veil in front of those Jews, he sent a message to the whole world up to this day. No more. That That is gone. All that stuff you're doing, that's gone. I came to fulfill that. Because if you think about Jesus, even in the Old Testament, it says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was that spotless lamb hanging on that cross that those Jews had to find and keep and keep it spotless all year long so they could bring that that sacrifice so they could all lay their hands on it so that they, they kept this, this animal all pure and nice and clean so they could kill it. And Jesus was the only one without sin. He was the sinless, spotless lamb. So only Jesus, only God, could robe himself in flesh, walk this earth, suffer what we suffer, show us how to live through the suffering, show us how to push past the veil of our flesh, and be the high priest and the spotless lamb, and as the high priest carry his own blood into the holy of holies so that we could have access. Isn't that awesome? And so we've got to get beyond the veil. Spiritually, we've got to get beyond the veil, the the comfortable, the normal, the the everyday. You know, not that any of these things are are bad or wrong, but we've got to get if we want to walk in the supernatural. I know this might sound weird or whatever, but we got to get past this veil of this flesh like Jesus did. Because he's already opened that veil. We were just singing that song about entering into the holy of holies. It's available. Where do you think the holy of holies exists right now? Anybody? Where does it exist? Right this moment. Right here. It's behind this. This veil called my flesh. What did he say? He said, I'm with you, but I'm fixing to be in you. And he's in us. <laughs> and what the devil can't do, he's, he was looking this way and behind him, the veil was coming down. He was like, what? Oh, no fair. That's why the Bible says the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church of the living God. Why? Because we're walking around with the holiness and the, the holy of holies in us. We are a force to be reckoned with. They don't know why they feel funny when we walk in the room. They don't know. They don't understand why they suddenly... The guys I work with, some of them love to just throw out a cuss word every now and then. I get around them and they'll they'll say it and then they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I meant this. And inside, I kind of laugh. Because it's like, 
Isn't that cool, God? I know why they're doing that. Because they don't even realize that the presence of God is standing right here in front of them. And they don't know why they would they changed their mind and said, oh, I didn't mean to say that. That's the power of God in me. It's not me. It's not. Oh, Vince is here. <laughs> we better not cuss. I don't want it to be that way. I want them to feel the presence and the power of God operating in me. I don't want to keep that thing dormant in me. And I was really hesitating on even preaching this. But God gave me this over a week ago. And this past Thursday and Friday, I went to a conference in Green Bay. And I'm, you know, I'm there and I'm, I'm thinking about here. And I got to get ready and prepare. And how am I going to do this? And go, you know, so I'm trying to balance my time. And, and this guy gets up who I don't even know, who's not from Wisconsin. He gets up and preaches a message. He reads the scripture, same scripture I just read at the beginning. And he gets up and he says, the title of my message, Beyond the Veil. <laughs> and I went, okay, yes, sir, I'll do it. Amen. Anybody ever been to that place where you feel like God's telling you to say something to somebody or telling you to do something? And it feels really weird. And you're like, oh, no, no, God, that, uh, I'll look stupid. I'll sound stupid if I do that. But he's just kind of like, won't let up. Do you do it? Anybody ever been there? <laughs> I like being there. I like knowing that he's telling me to do stuff. But sometimes he's going to make, just like he did Jesus, he, he sent him here as his son, and then he asked him to, to go through all of that. And in his flesh, he tried to get out of it. But he had to press past his flesh, Sister Bell. He had to push, you know, what did the Bible say? He despised the shame. He despised it. What do you do when you despise something? You hate it. You loathe it. What does that mean? He despised the shame. He was willing to suffer that shame for you, for you. For him, for you. He was willing to suffer that. And so we we grumble and complain when we got to suffer something. <laughs> we do. Oh, God, deliver me from it. No, sometimes we need to just pray through it. He's trying to get us to get down on our face and press through this flesh, the veil of this flesh, and press through that place. He's He's putting that in our life. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want God to ever stop working on me. I don't ever want Him to stop perfecting me. Because I'm not there yet. And you're not either. I want to be perfected because nothing that's not perfected and holy and, and gone through His process is going to enter in. So I don't ever want God, you're listening, God, I don't ever want him to stop working on me, pushing me, play, taking me to that place of the press, that Gethsemane. I don't ever want to get to the place where I feel like, okay, that's enough. That's not my call, is it? Whose call is that? It's his call. He says when's enough's enough. Amen? Let's all stand in this place this morning.
God's trying to tell us this morning. He's sending a message to everybody in this place. Maybe he's sending a message to somebody that's listening online. I don't know. Maybe he was sending the message to me. Because he made sure I got to hear this one from somebody else before I got to preach it. And what I said to you today is nothing like what that man said. But that was just God and his mercy and grace confirming to me, yes, this is what I want you to say. That wasn't just you having a bad dream or something. That was me speaking to you. You say, Brother DeMuth, you still struggle with hearing from God sometimes. But I'm striving for that. You know. I'm trying to change my thinking. I'm trying, I'm working. I'm, I'm asking God to give me that sensitivity, and I know that he spoke this to me. So if, if I know that, and that's, I'm just his vessel. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not anything more than his vessel that he chose for this moment. But he spoke that to somebody in this place, and maybe he spoke it to everybody. God doesn't do stuff by accident. He doesn't flip open his sermon book and say yeah preach this one right here it's not what he does but he does use us as vessels just like he's going to use you to minister to somebody in that nursing home at that job or at school he's going to use you and he's going to ask you to say things and do things that aren't going to make any sense when he told that that centurion guy to go down and baptize in that muddy river to get you know, to, to dunk himself so that he could get healed of leprosy. He didn't want to do it because it didn't make sense. It wasn't the thing he thought should be done. But God's not going to do it the way we want it to be done. Just like he didn't, he, he could have picked an easier way to get that blood sacrifice into that holy of holies in heaven so that we could have this salvation today. But there was only one way. He had to press through that veil of his flesh so that he could tear that veil. So that we could have access. We could have power. Brother Parker's already talked about it this morning. We have power. We have authority in the Holy Ghost. He said we do greater things than he did. And he did some awesome stuff on this earth. And he said he would go away, but he wouldn't leave us comfortless. He'd give us his spirit. Not just so that we could run around and say, oh, hallelujah, I have the Holy Ghost. But we are a force to be reckoned with. We can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He said we would. Amen. Father, we love you today, Lord Jesus. We just want your will to be done in our life today. Father, we want you to to bring us to that place that you, Jesus, that place that you came to, in that moment where you knew you had to go to the cross, we want you, O oh God, to bring us. You are our example in that place, Father, for what we need to do, Father. We want you to bring us to that place where we can begin to press past our, the veil of our flesh, where we've already been ushered into the veil of your presence, beyond the veil, into that holy of holies, where that bright light, that Shekinah light, is still shining today in us, O oh God. We want that Shekinah light. To, to shine out of us. We're just old clay crack pots, Father, in the name of Jesus. And you've put your, you've put your holy of holies inside of these old crack pots today, Father. But we are your vessels, chosen vessels. We are your royal priesthood. We are your holy nation. We are your peculiar people, Lord, that you've chosen. 
You've chosen us, God, to be your light in the dark world, Lord Jesus, today. And I pray every one of these people, in the sound of my voice today, has heard something from you today. They all heard it different, God, but you've ministered in this place. You've ministered to me, God. You've challenged us today, Father, in the name of Jesus. If you need to come to this altar this morning, I encourage you to come. Amen. I don't know.